Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we appreciate you tuning in to 101 ESPN this morning. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and one of our all-time favorites is the Hall of Famer, the former Cardinal manager and world champion here in St. Louis, Tony Larusa, who joins us now. Skipper, it's always great to have you on the air here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? Good. Looking forward to uh, the conversation. We always like talking to you, and uh, we want to start, obviously, on a sad note, because I know the reverence with which you held Tom Seaver, who passed away last night at the age of 75, and uh, I've heard you talk several times about some of the great memories you have from Tom Terrific. Well, anybody that uh, became a member of Tom's team, you know, it was a teammate, was very, very fortunate because you had a personal association. You could actually see it instead of read about her or watch it from the other side. And had two great years, uh, all of us with the White Sox in 84 and 85 with him. He was, uh, I don't know how you could improve. He was just an amazing man and, uh, and, and professional pitcher. Well said, Tony. Um, Randy and I recently started a book club, and the first book that we read was Three Nights in August, the Buzz Bissinger book that chronicled the 2003 Cardinals. And the access that that book provided was amazing, and we want to ask you a couple questions about it. But the first thing for me was, from a fan's perspective, from a viewer's perspective, we know that managing a baseball team is a tough task, but getting that peek behind the curtain and seeing just how all-consuming the cycle of it was for you. It's not just a day-to-day day thing or game to game thing it's pitch by pitch it's minute by minute and even after the game's over after your media obligations are over buzz talks about how you would be walking the street sometimes at 3 a.m in chicago agonizing over a decision and it just seems like something that for most people would take a physical or an emotional toll so what was it like for you to have to be like that to have your foot on the gas for 30 plus years as a manager uh well i think that you, that you're only going to be able to last beyond your first year if if you get totally consumed by it. I mean, uh, I was always taught the responsibility if you became a manager of a baseball team, major league baseball team, you think about who you're responsible to. You're, you know, the, the fans in the organization, uh, the organization itself, you know, the owner in the front office that gave you the job, and then uh, the players – I mean, it's even player development. I mean, they're they're looking to the big league team to to set a certain example about the way you compete, and and over the years, each each team. So, I mean, that responsibility, I think, it had a lot to do with how I was raised by my mom and dad, and you know, my, and I had one sister. Uh, it just required that that you give it your best effort, otherwise, you couldn't look in the mirror. And the, you know, you make a good point about the uh, the walk in the streets. Uh, probably one of my favorite uh, memories of the book coming out was the number of times coaches uh, contacted me and told me that that echoed what they would go through. In fact, you know, Bill Parcells one time told me that after a game in the NFL, he would very often go to the shores there of the uh, the Atlantic, you know, near New Jersey where he lived, and, you know, just look at the – 
there on the shore, wait till sunlight, and he's reviewing the game that was just played. So, you know, Bud, by the way, make sure I say, you know, Bud, Buzz did a great job. He's just a terrific writer, and uh, the way he brought stuff to life there, I, I, I was amazed at just because I just talked to him, and he, he pulled it all together. Did you make sure you were always in good neighborhoods when you were walking the streets? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Tony might have been in danger at some point. <laughs> well, I thought, I didn't know what, I can't remember if it was a book or not, but that, I did have one memorable uh, scare in, in one city that I don't want to mention when I made a detour because I was just consumed because I had messed up pitching to a, uh, a great pinch hitter with an open base and uh, he signaled to win the game. And, and so I, I just, took personal responsibility for that loss. And, you know, I remember as soon as I finished with the press, I, I took off my clothes, a uniform, and I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I didn't even shower. I walked out and, you know, a lot of people were around and I wanted to avoid them. And I made a, a turn and next thing I know I was in a bad neighborhood. I thought, oh, this is this bad night's going to get worse. Oh, my. Scary stuff. Hey, Tony, one of the anecdotes that really struck Michelle and I, and and I read the book when it came out, and here we are 14 years later, but it was a conversation that you had with Mike Matheny when you saw him holding hands with his wife, Kristen, and uh, you told him just before you held hands, you had that lost look because of something you did on the field, getting too hard on yourself. I made enormous mistakes with my wife and my kids, and now I have terrific regrets, and it's too late to do much about it. And obviously, you've had an opportunity to spend more time with your family since you retired. But my, my question is this, did the winning help offset some of those regrets? No, no. I mean, if you, I mean, one of, one of our philosophies was no, no regrets, mm-hmm. you know, you, as far as preparing for a, a game or a series, if you felt afterwards that you got beat because you had left something out, you, you know, that regret is tough to live with. So, when it becomes personal, no. I, uh, you know, bottom line was, you know, one of my first years as a manager. Uh, you know, I was fighting for my life, and and uh, the family has forgiven me, but I never forgive myself for, for you know, just not separating, you know, the personal time from the professional time. Tony, another thing that struck me was how you talked about how player priorities had shifted throughout the years that you managed. And when the book was written in 2003, one of the things you mentioned was that for some players, winning was often third or fourth on their list of priorities behind personal accolades or contracts or things like that. So for someone like you who is managing a team and you're putting 100% in day in and day out and you see other players that are doing that, but then you have some potential big contract guys who winning isn't as important to them. How did you balance that? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, one thing I tried to do was not balance it. I didn't. Well, I, mean, I guess maybe that's a good word, the sense that you understood that they were under personal pressure you know, to get the most out of their career because they had a family that they had to take care of. But the uh, the challenge was, and by the way, still is, that the frame of mind has to be that you know, you're part of a team and the success of the team will help dictate how much fame and fortune you get. So if, if you're just about selfish, you know, you can't play here because, you know, the game, a, a great example is a, a position player has to understand how to play that scoreboard because he may lead off an inning. What's his responsibility to get the rally started, right? 
Next time he comes up, he may have the bases loaded. What's his responsibility? Drive and run. So, you know, you have to you have to play the game according to what the scoreboard says your team needs. And biggest challenge was just because of the time that I came into managing, where all of a sudden they were free agency and guaranteed contracts, and you know, and the media started really. I mean, '79. That's when ESPN started. The players would get distracted, and you had to fight through that. You have to fight through it today, and 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 make sure that their priorities are in order. And the biggest way to explain it is: the better we do as a team, the better you do as a as a as a as a person uh, taking care of your family. So you better hope the team is good. You better contribute to them being a, a, a successful. Nobody would doubt for a second that a 50-year-old Tony La Russa, if you were managing today, you would win. There's no doubt. And you would be stimulated and you would have fun. But because of the way front offices seem to be now with Moneyball and with the analytics and with providing a lot of information, they get upset when managers don't accept their information from front offices. How would you handle managing a team the way baseball is right now? Well, that's a great question, Randy, because I think that's really the issue today. Um, you got to you got to make sure you understand it from the first day of managing to the end. We had a staff that devoured information. I mean, we were famous for trying to get as much information as possible, so we would not stiff arm today's information. Uh, what you want to do, though, is you want to balance it because. The problem is, and I think this is too often the case, is that the, the, the metrics guys, you know, they live with those percentages and they don't understand just how dynamic the game is once you start playing it. And the coaches on the field can feel it and the manager has to be able to, and the coach, they have to respond to the differences that day. So, uh, you know, if I had a chance to manage today, I, I would I would try to very hard to explain to the front office and, and the owners that give give us all the information that, that, that we can we can take in. But you've got to understand that, you know, Randy, you know, today may have a quick bat. Tomorrow he's got a slower bat, and you better be able to make that adjustment if you're trying to get him out. So uh, it it it, uh, it really bothers me that. The, the state of the game today, uh, actually, this is an interesting point because it was made, pointed out to me that it's a reverse of what you think. In the game today, you would think that the old-timers are giving the Heisman to the, the new wave of, of metrics. And it's the opposite. They more embrace it. It's the new metrics guys that, that want to uh, give the Heisman <clears throat> to the judgment of scouts, the value of player development, the importance of being able to make game decisions. And I'm going to tell you one more quick thing that's, that's really insidious in a sense. Leadership is more important than ever on the field. You want the manager and the coaches to get the most out of your players. Well, respect goes to the person making decisions. And when the players know that the decisions are coming from upstairs, it, it undercuts the, uh, the leadership respect that you earn on the field it's bad for your ball club. Tony, I, I believe that you'll like hearing this on more than one occasion. Actually, maybe once a week, 
we get from Mike Schilt, and we have these Zoom meetings with Mike Schilt, and we get from him, they're men, not machines, which was something that you, whoever the media member was, and we, we would talk about players, at the end of the day, you do have to manage people, and you're not just at a computer screen. Well, I mean, it's just a lesson that was passed on to me. and You know, like, you know, Mike, I have a great respect for Mike, actually both Mikes, Matheny and Schilt. And, uh, you know, so you pass along what you learned. And, and just to make sure I dot this I and cross the T, I was very fortunate. Every place I managed, our coaching staff knew that the ownership, the front office, player development guy, and we were all integrated and what was best, and, and, and I'll have mutual respect. So nobody nobody ever you know, came at us, and it wasn't just because we were around for a while. It was because they, they knew, that they, and they believed in that dynamics of, of what happens during the game. And uh, I think that that's, you know, I, I think when I see how the game is being played now, you know, it, the game is not as entertaining as it should be, and I think it's going to, the worm's going to turn because I think, Owners will see the fans want more of this and less of that, and and the, the front office guys. And, and I don't disrespect any, you know, like you know, call them metrics guys because they love the game and they they got this opportunity to be a part of. It. They just have to understand, you know, what you can do and what you can't do, and respect the balance of what coaches and scouts and player development can do. Tony, speaking of Mike Schilt, 2020 provides its own set of challenges for managers. You have a shortened season. You have new protocols, no fans in the stands. It feels like the list is endless. But the Cardinals also had to deal with a COVID outbreak among the team. And Mike Schilt has has rallied this team. They're right there in it as far as a, a postseason chase still. What's your opinion on the job that Mike Schilt has done with the Cardinals this year? I think it's, you know, the way I would define it, would just it's just the latest example of, how outstanding he is as a leader. And, and I've, I've always mentioned, you know, the coaching staff, that they have to be together, you know, to present this to the team. But you had the, you had the, uh, the different, you know, spring training one and two. And you had, you know, that, and that second spring training was very difficult. But what really has marked the 2020 season for the Cardinals is the, the interruption in play. To sit around as many times as they had to, and what they're confronted with with now, trying to make up all these doubleheaders—that's excuses waiting to to be taken. And how they responded, they've got themselves ready to play. They're in the midst of it, and I wouldn't bet against them finding a way. I mean, it's good. It's it's going to be unfair, actually, as far as what you know, the stresses on their pitching staff and and their players. But I would uh, I would not better guess. I just think the fact that they're doing so well now, and I anticipated that's what they'll do the last month of September. I, I think it's just the latest example of uh, just uh, the kind of leadership that uh, that Mike and the staff provides that team. Tony, I, I really find. I'm also I got to mention this too, because it, it never ends with a manager and a staff. If you don't have team leadership, that embraces that message and helps the, the uh, coaching staff, it doesn't work. So you got guys like Adam and Yachty, and I'm sure there are other guys there. It, it really is a remarkable team, and that's why they keep winning no matter what the challenge. Tony, what if I would have told you in 2005 that Adam Wainwright and Yachty or Molina would be the anchors on and off the field for this Cardinals team in 2020? What would your response have been? Uh, 
I would have expected it because they have the qualities. One of them is they have the love of the game and the love of the competition, and they understand everything we just talked about. It's a team game. You know, Adam, early on, was the, you know, the, the closer in 06 that became the starter, who learned, you know, from uh, his mentors, you know, the Carps and uh, the Matt Morrises and so forth. Yachty, they just and they had the leadership qualities and love of the game. Plus, when you love the game as much as they do and you learn it, the next piece that falls in place is longevity. And, uh, you know, these guys going strong is, it's a beautiful thing to see. And they're, they're, and they're making, they're, they're making records of, of, uh, playing together that it's really going to be something special in the history of the St. Louis Cardinals, which by itself makes it remarkable. Tony, part of that history is, if you go back to 1918, the Cardinals have finished in last place once. They've had 12 straight winning seasons. You were with Boston. Boston is going to finish in last place for the fourth time since 04. They've won the four World Series, but they're also going to finish in last. You look at the Giants having to rebuild. You look at a, a team like the Cubs struggling. Why are the Cardinals so consistently good? That's a great question. I, I just, um, I think that my experience, you know, the ownership, the DeWitt ownership was was, was uh, exactly the right one to come in behind the Bush family. Uh, but I remember from day one, I, I, I regressed to one step. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Tampa, which would, my dad would take me on Sunday sometimes to St. Pete to watch the Yankees in St. Louis or Tampa where we watched Cincinnati White Sox. And then I got into the pros and then in, I was a manager in 82, 5, and 7. I came to St. Louis for those World Series. This is, you know what, because the teams I was managing for, we wanted to represent sportsmanship. And I saw for myself walking to the ballpark how, how excited and happy the fans were. So when I joined in 96 and, and two great Cardinals like Mike Shannon and Jack Buck pulled me aside, and they wanted to make sure that I understood what the responsibility was. Uh, and I think what you're know, trying to describe it is that forever, when you get in that uniform, you feel the tradition and you feel the obligation to carry it forward. You know, it's, it's like somebody once told me, and I have embraced it. You know, it's a tangible, intangible. And don't ever, ever under, underestimate the strength of walking in that clubhouse, putting on that uniform, performing in front of that passionate fans, fan base, and what that does to lift uh, your performance. So uh, it's a very unique equation there, you know, formula they got. And uh, everybody that, that, that it's worked in there, if you know, that had the great good fortune to work with Walt Jockey and then towards the end with, with uh, Jabo Zalek. And uh, they all feel it, and you feel it in the minor leagues, and, and that's the way I would explain it. I felt that when you said that, Tony, because so many people in St. Louis, just seeing the birds on the bat, we feel that. It means so much to us. So to think that players, managers, members of the organization, they understand that responsibility as it ties to the community is pretty profound. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, as a manager, when you have a, you have to have, you, you got you to gotta establish trust. You know, you got to say the truth. Uh, same as the staff, you know, otherwise, if they, players know the truth not be straight with them. You'll never have them. So 
one of the things is, in, in, you know, our philosophy of competing, and that meant, you know, how, how we practiced and how we came to the game every day and played a hard nine. Well, if you had a guy that was having trouble in baseball, you know, you had a conversation with him, and you literally said, "Look, that's how we do it. If you can't, if you can't do it, then you're in the wrong place, and we'll, we'll get you out of here." Tony, we wanted to ask you about the Angels, too, before we let you go. You know, when you have a generational player like an Albert Pujols or a Mike Trout, you feel like you have a window to win a championship, and that hasn't happened yet with the Angels. So what steps do you think need to be taken to put the organization in the best place to capture that title moving forward? Well, that's a great question because I know, uh, as I've talked about with the Cardinals, it begins at the top, and uh, the top here is Artie Moreno. And you know, and, and the front, you know, the ownership, and, and like you know, the president, like John Carpino, uh, it goes through the farm, you know, the, the general manager Billy Epler. And I really, when I came over, I was, I am, really impressed with their commitment. And then they, you know, bring in Joe Madden, who's had Angel history, success, and then his own success. Uh, it's just been kind of cruel, because I really believe. Uh, when I was in spring training and I watched the work of Joe, outstanding coaching staff, I think they were really hitting the right uh, tone with pulling that team together and, and making, you know, understanding what it was to compete as a team and do all the fundamental things to get ready. Now they got, you know, about two weeks left to polish it off for every day and, it's, and it ends. And uh, you go to spring training too, and, and now it's totally disrupted. You get, hard to get guys together because everybody's separated their little little groups because of the distancing. You know, I, I sound like I'm making an excuse. I'm trying to explain because when I say cruel, the team, you know, we've gotten into this, you know, into now and, you know, we're, our record is atrocious and and it's, uh, you know, it would take a miracle for us to get to September. So everybody's feeling it. Everybody's, I think, embarrassed by it. But uh, one of the, one of the, the strongest motivators was you look at number 27 there and you feel the obligation as a teammate uh, or anybody in the organization to, I know it's a team game, but you know, Mike Trout deserves to have October baseball. So people that are just casual fans can see his greatness. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that, you know, we'll just do the best we can from here to the end and learn as much as possible. And then, when you turn the page to 2021, uh, you know, I just feel confident they got the right people in place to, to, you know, make all that happen. Tony, a couple more quick things. Do you have much interaction with Albert? Are you down in the clubhouse? Do you get to talk to Albert much? Yeah, fortunately, I'm a tier two guy, you know, so like, you know, I show up there and I go on the field and uh, Joe and the coaches could not have done more to him feel at home. I mean, I attended a bunch of meetings and, have conversations with them. So yesterday, for example, I, uh, uh, you know, we had an off day Tuesday after losing Monday. Albert made the last out. I think I told somebody, uh, I think I told Jim Lee the last night when they talked to him, Albert's greatness has not changed because Albert made those two guys on base in the ninth inning. And, uh, he had a chance base hit the tide, extra base hit the win, And he got a pitch and he popped it up. And, uh, you know, where I was, where I was, I could see it. Jim said, you know, Albert had a good pitch. He was watching on TV. I saw him yesterday. First thing he says, I messed up. Pitch was right there and I missed it. 
He hasn't changed, <laughs> no. has he? Hasn't changed, taking responsibility, <laughs> being accountable. So, yeah, one of the neat things yesterday, by the way, uh, man put on a hit and run when we lose by one run, and, Joe, and, and Albert hit a double out of the right field corner. And uh, I, I wrote him a text in Spanish that he read about midnight, and he, he sent me a text back laughing. And I told him in Spanish, you know, here I am, you know, because sometimes he would call me, you know, Papa, and I'd say he's my son, and I'd say, you know, when you did that, which I think Alberts has got like 150 or 60, 70 hits on hit and runs throughout his career. He's just been amazing. You know, I, I sent a text about how proud of Dad was to see his son come through it, and he laughed at it. So it's a long-winded answer is that I see him, and it's been one of the great pleasures to be, you know, close to him again and watch him. That is great to hear. Finally, we, we wanted to talk to you, and we asked you a lot about the book. We know that you're a voracious reader. So if you could make a recommendation to Randy and Michelle about a book, and it doesn't have to be a sports book, a book that has had an effect on you that you think that would be beneficial to us, what would it be? Hmm. Well, there's there's a book that I read about a famous coach that I didn't want to read, and I was told to read because that's some of the insights that I read it. And but I, I can't tell you to read it because in the end the author ripped after after having after written this book he ripped the coach, and I'll never say that book's name. So I will rely, even though I've told some people individually, hey, read this book because I don't want this guy to make a dime on, on on my recommendation. But the book that I would one of the ones is Lou Holtz wrote a book and he wrote several, but there was one where he would talk about, you know, a lot of the, his secrets or formula for winning. And that I would, and I can't, I, I'm having trouble remembering, but, you know, he, he would every year come up with something like WI and, and it would be like, uh, what's important now or wit, uh, wit was, uh, whatever it takes, you know? So I would recommend one of those Lou Holtz's books. I just wish I could remember which one it was. We'll figure it out. Tony, you're always so generous with your time. We can't thank you enough, and uh, we're, we're rooting for you. We know the greatness that is Tony Lewis, and we know how competitive you are, and you guys are going to get that thing turned around in Anaheim by next year. We know it. Well, you know, if it's about reading and books, you know, I, I, I enjoy the conversation a lot. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care, Skipper. We'll see you. That is the Hall of Famer, the great Tony Larusa on 101 ESPN. That's so great that he gets to reconnect with Albert in that way and, and watch him in Anaheim. That's yeah. very special. And how often does a coach-player-manager-player player relationship evolve to the point where it's a father-son relationship like that? That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Michelle and I will be back to wrap things up and head you towards Scoops with Danny Mack next on 101 ESPN.